This episode was brought to you by The Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to The Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome all SF listeners to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. If this is your first time here, I'm your host, Reese Creed, and we're going to be interviewing an incredible angler today. I've got Josh Reed on, and I am super excited for what's ahead now. I interviewed Josh, it was about a month ago now, um, so when we were talking, it was at the end of cod close season, even though we didn't really talk about cod too much in this episode. Now, what we do talk about though is where he's from and where he fishes down on the border region. So that Albury-Wodonga region. So we talk about that southern New South Wales and that northeastern Victoria, bit of the waterway around there, what he does, how Josh fishes. And the main topic of this episode was the fish kills that happened in the Upper Murray from the bushfires. Now, it, it was a pretty sad event and I was really, really lucky to have Josh on to do this episode and talk about that. I think he is the most perfect person to share what has happened up there, from coming from an angler's point of view, but he also worked with fisheries. He was there for the cleanup. He fished it on a regular basis for a long time before the bushfires, so it was a place he called home and he's the best person to share what has happened to that system and we talk about what happened, the impacts, uh, what the system's like now, what it was like before and then obviously the recovery. We also talk a little bit about the Upper Murray and what it was like to fish um, and those clear streams and how you did fish it and hopefully as things start to pick back up over the next couple of years, these are techniques you can go use up there. We also talk about the Golden Tag competition in Victoria and the two fish, not just one, the two fish that Josh, well Josh caught one and his girlfriend caught the other one, uh, the Golden Tag, $2,000 winning fish so that's a pretty cool little story we get into that and then we talk a few more details on some fishing content now this is a really good episode and i'm glad to be bringing you another one this is episode 55 of the social fishing podcast i love creating these sharing information and best of all interviewing other anglers and sharing their opinions because we have the platform like the social fishing membership where i share stacks of content from myself videos and things like that but this podcast is all about interviewing other anglers and getting to know and learn what makes them tick. What things do they use to catch fish out on the water? And I'm super excited to jump into this episode. So without further ado, guys, let's jump in and talk with the one, the only, Josh Reed. I'm super excited for this episode, guys. I have Josh Reed with me, mate. Thanks for sitting down and having a chat. Thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Reese. It's good to be here. Before we get into it, we've got a fair bit to talk about. I've got a heap of things to ask you. Can you just tell me how the fishing's been for you of late? Where are you based as well? Are you in Albury or are you in Vic? I am in Albury, so I'm on the New South Wales side of the border. Lucky um, for you. <laughs> I am lucky, but I do a lot of fishing in Victoria, particularly this kind of year, uh, this time of year. Sorry, with all this rain around. Yeah, um, a lot of those, a lot of the um, little Victorian tributaries and. Uh, the pondages and stuff up there, I like to get into and fish for trout, uh, which I haven't been able to do lately. So, so does yeah. that mean um, you've got options on the new south side in the meantime? I do have a few, but I have to travel a little bit further. Um, I can head down to Mulwala or down the river um, and chase cod or up into New South Wales. I was at Blaring on the weekend, um, but yeah, not, not as close as some of my Victorian options, that's all. 
Yeah, yeah. So how's it been with the? What have you found with the um, the floods and the whole rain situation? Because I've found it to be well, up this way. Rivers are right off uh, pretty well. Yeah, they're very, very high and dirty. I'm sure it's good for the fish, but yeah. it makes it hard to catch them. Very hard for a lure fisherman, as you probably know. Um, look, it's been it's been pretty good in the area. Um, this time of year, a lot of things start to happen. The trout start to move in the river. Um, the river below Lake Hume are allowed to target trout all year, so I've been into them. Yep. Um, start to see a few yellow belly and, um, yeah, the cod in the impairments obviously fire up as that winter bite sort of comes on. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, so Victoria, if you if you had to pick one side to fish, this is just a random question I just thought of, if you had to pick one side from where you're based within that yeah. hour that you travel, would you pick yeah. the Vic side or the New South side? I think it would change. In summer, I would say it would be the Vic side. A lot of the little rivers and stuff that I like to fish, they're on that side of the border. Yep. Um, but then come winter, uh, I like to sort of get into the impoundments. Those rivers all get high and dirty. Yep. Um, so I'd say in summer, it would be the Victorian side, and in winter, it would probably be the New South Wales side. Yeah, interesting. And, and on the New pretty, South, sorry, keep going. Sorry, I was going to say we're pretty spoiled for choice down here. Um, got quite a few options, so yeah. Yeah, it's a good part of the world. I'm, I'm sort of in a good part of the world too, sort of a little bit north, and an air in every direction's are totally different to you, but you've got so many small trout streams. Close yeah, by. that's right. Yeah, I like to. Um, I'm a big cod fisherman through and through, but sometimes to break stride, I go and catch those, or target those trout in those smaller streams, and do the visual stuff with a bit of light line. It's it's really good fun. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of choice now. I'm going to jump in with some questions that I like to ask everyone when we start because uh, it's always interesting to hear everyone's story and where fishing come from for you, how it evolved, where you started, so where you're from uh, and how did you fall into the love for fishing? Is it something you've fallen into recently or something that started way back? Uh, I think I was born into it. Um, I've always, well, I was born in Aubrey um, and my brother and I, my twin brother and my dad, we used to go out and uh, started probably trawling trout up at Dartmouth and in Lake Hume, there was some freezing cold mornings as a five or six year old up there trawling around. Um, we, yeah, we, we were very much uh, out the weir catching redfin, or out, sorry, Lake Hume catching redfin, and a little bit of cod fishing in summer, mostly with bait. Yep. Um, and then as we sort of, as we grew up, we started, got a little bit of independence and started going fishing by ourselves and throwing lures around and started seeing fish eat lures and all that kind of fun stuff. And, just really drove our passion and now I can't get enough of it. That's the go. So you grew up in Albury? Yeah, I grew up in Albury, yeah. And then and then it's just you were born into it. So did your, your old man teach you how to fish and then your passion sort of went past his? Is that how it like, yeah. works? Like, that's how it works a lot with a lot of us who fish these days. They like to introduce you and then you turn it into this whole different thing as you grow up. I think so. I think, yeah, you've, you've taken the words out of my mouth. That's exactly how it went. Now I feel like I take him on fishing trips, but yeah, you know, <laughs> I really have to thank him for uh, for the passion. I've yeah done it from such a young age. It's all I've really thought about since five or six years old. You know. Yeah, how good is it? So, what do you do during the day? Yeah, for work. Fishing or working? Working. Yeah. I'm a building. I'm a trainee building surveyor with the Aubrey City Council. So I've recently started a traineeship. Nice. Um, so I've got. I'm doing full part time uni and full time work and a little bit of fishing on the weekends. Yeah, yeah. So you get as much fishing as you can. Yeah, it's a bit hard around assignment time, but I always uh, always find a day here and there. Yeah. So if you had right, so if you've got, uh, do you go? Do you try and go for a whole day? Are you someone who likes to go dedicate a whole day for a fishing trip, or are you happy to shoot out for a couple of hours 
I'm very happy to shoot out for a couple of hours, um, particularly in summer when I'm fishing that small water. It'll usually be a morning session or, or an afternoon session. Um, that's sort of what I like about it. I can just go to these places and, you know, know I've got a good chance of catching a cod and can be home by lunchtime kind of thing. Yeah. Um, during winter, I sort of change and fish the impoundments. And it's, as you know, Blairing and Mulwaila, it's more of a whole weekend kind of trip. Yep. Um, where I'll sort of hang out during the day and do a lot of fishing at night or in prime time. You know, I don't don't spend a lot of time at camp, but um, no, I don't think many take, of us do. <laughs> no, no, there's always something to you know. Uh, I was speaking to you just before about like sighting cod during the day and that kind of thing. Like I'm always doing something, but um, I'd say yeah, during during winter I'm probably spending whole weekends out. Whereas in summer I might do an overnight, but um, for most of the time. I like to just be able to duck out for a morning and, and know that I can catch a fish and, and come home whenever I like kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of a good area for that. See, I've, it's funny, It's funny. I kind of grew up and always dedicated a whole day to a session. I know some people just love those quick, short trips. Yeah. It's, it's funny how we all fish differently and obviously yours changes from season to season. So what's, It does, yeah. Yeah, what's the – if you were to go um, – if you were to pick one style of fishing because – I know some people are just boat-based, just fish impoundments, right? Some people right. just fish, say, your bigger rivers from a boat. Some people just bank walk. I feel like you do a mix of everything, sort of like myself. Um, yeah, I, if, I do try to, yeah. If you could pick one, if you could pick, I know it's a hard question, but if you could pick yeah. one in a certain season, what type of It'd water, be, yeah, what, what do you love? Small, small, clear water cod, that's what it's all about for me. Uh, if I could do that all year, that's all I would do. Um, small, like low, like small rivers, you could you know nearly walk across in my punt, yep. floating down them. Probably doing a, an overnight. That's what I try to do in summer. Yeah, um, fish an evening and then a morning, and then try and watch some cod eat the lure and try and get a couple of good ones amongst them. And yeah, that's what it's about for me. That's that's my bread and butter. And you usually do like when you do the overnight, is you just pull up wherever wherever you end up, swag it on the bank, yeah, and just, jump back in. Exactly right. Yep, swag in the boat. Um, just a swag and a barbecue and away I go. Um, usually f- fish with my girlfriend or with a friend and take two cars and just float between them or and just swag it on the bank wherever we end up. That's awesome. So you do that, um, one, of the, one of the main rivers you do that on is the Upper Murray? Yeah, I do a lot on the Upper Murray, yep. Um, there was a fish kill in the area, as a lot of people probably know. Uh, I didn't do so much up there this season because since the fish kill, it's been very high and dirty. But yeah, the Upper Murray, yeah, it's one of my favourite rivers to fish. I really love it up there so if someone so for people who aren't from say our area who've never visited it before um tell us a little bit about upper murray it's kind of and then we'll get into talking about uh, what happened to all the fish we'll talk about the fires there's a bit a little bit to go into there so yeah, uh, yeah. upper murray to me is real unique uh system like for our area I can't think for sure. of a river that looks, flows, the clarity, the fish in there. Like, yeah. the, 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 it's like it's its own little pocket that's like completely different to anything around. It's nothing like the Murray itself for people who yeah. picture the Murray. It's nothing like the Bidgee. It, it's, it's, it's not even like really some of those Victorian smaller streams. It's like this real unique system. So can you talk us through a little bit about it? Yeah, it's an awesome place, pretty much from Lake Hume up. Toucan Coburn. Uh, it's not a big stretch of river, but uh, it's it's fairly wide. It holds some really good fish. Um, our fishing club's got a cabin up there, just uh, not far above Lake Hume, so I've spent a lot of time up there. And what you say about the water being different to everywhere, that's spot on. Um, some of the, the places that fish sit, um, 
the you know the rapids and the clear water and the big holes willow trees you know the, the river changes all the way up um, but there's big fish all the way through it um, and some pretty special pockets of uh, trout cod we get some big trout cod up there which you know you don't see many of in other places um, and yeah caught quite a few cod over a meter up there it's it's a very special place to me yeah it's it's great oh i don't do you get I, I can't understand how they get so big and fat with such cold water coming out like i know do you can you put a can, can you shed some light because you've spent i've spent a bit of time fishing it can do you have any idea why the fish thrive so much in the system when it gets cold like it will get cold flushes through right so that's bad for a system and you usually push pushes the cod away from that cold water they're obviously not right below king coven but is, no is but it, they are a long way up in the cold water you're right yeah and um and they're fat I don't know what, I, and they're so they are, healthy it must just be food reese it's all it can be um I think they do travel around a lot. In fact, when we go into it a little bit later, the research that I did with the fisheries up there, they showed that they do move around a lot. Um, and yep. from my own experiences up there, when they let those flushes out of Cancoban, the fish do shut down because it's just that cold water that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, sometimes they'll feed for a little bit after a flush, but not very long. They do see, they do tend to shut down pretty quickly. Um, and, yeah, just so much food for them up there. You know, you see so many, you catch, I've caught redfin on cod lures, you know, and there's so many carp and small cod up there. There's just must be massive amounts of food for them. Is there many, is there many trout, like, they overlap for long or you reckon the main, that's not one of their food source, like the main food Look, source would be reddies and carp and... No, there's definitely trout. They do overlap um, for quite a bit. There's a lot of times at night when we're floating through rapids with torches and stuff, you do see trout in the rapids. I'm sure they are eating them. Yeah. Um, I'd say about halfway um, between, say, Kankoban and Lake Hume would yep. be about the line for trout. I know they've been caught down further, but, yeah, the halfway line there somewhere. Yeah, okay. And then um, it's because uh, every other system's got heaps of carp and that maybe it's because the clarity's so good so they're, they're, they're better at ambushing. Like maybe they get more feed in that low-light period because they actually see what they're eating rather than rely on, you know, the sense of fear yeah, like, it, say, down further on the Murray. It could be that they're definitely visual um, feeders up there. Of, you know, sometimes a lure hits the water and, they're straight onto it. They, they couldn't have sensed it or smelt it. Sometimes they're just all over it. Um, yeah, I think, look, there just must be that much food up there for them. I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing a cod needs. And they, they thrive in cold water like blowing and up your way. So it's it's nothing too bad for them. Um, mm. Like I said, it does, does shut them down a little bit. But I'm sure they've uh, experienced enough now. They know when the flush comes out, just sit tight and the water will warm back up again. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about what, well, what I'm interested to talk about. I'll ask you a few questions about it and then we'll run into the, the fish kills and how the fishery's going now and how it's changed from what it was to what it is. So yeah. just a couple of things on time of year for fishing, sort of that kind of waterway and some of the techniques you've used because obviously I've, I've seen some of your, your clips you've put up online um, and your yeah. technique, I would say isn't used by every man and his dog because, you know, the, the hand, like the standard spinnerbait casting, hard body casting. I've watched you yeah. fish swim baits. Can you run us through the swim bait technique you use in the clear water? Yeah, so I try to stay clear of um, what other people are doing with spinnerbaits and that kind of, I try to run my own race. So I've been using these um, soft swim baits, the Percy the Perch from Western for a little while and I've worked out a little bit of a technique with them. You've probably seen in the videos where mm. I throw it in and I just twitch it 
with a, just do a little tap with a rod tip. And what that does is it gets the lure dancing in their face, but it doesn't actually move it out of the zone. It sits it in there for a little while. Um, and in, I implicate a couple of pauses as well, and they always seem to eat it on that pause. Yeah. Um, and I can do that all the way back to the boat. And I've had a stage now where I just I watch it with so much anticipation because I just love watching them eat the lure. It's such a confidence bait for the last couple of seasons. I've been using them for about four or five seasons now, and I just I just know what can happen when you're watching. So I, I'll watch it all day long and just twitch it like that. You know, my arm gets tired, but I just that's that's what I love to do. No, so you don't. So you won't just roll them out. You you chuck it in the zone, twitch and twitch it all the way back, or will no? I'll roll it out. I'll I'll twitch it in there for a little bit and roll it out, or I yep. don't twitch it on every cast. But that's that's just a technique that I've used. Particularly uh, if if there's a little bit of a hole, you, you'll see a lot of the small water that I fish. The, the pockets are quite small. Yep. And if you can if you can get the bait to sit in there for a little bit and and look wounded or just be in their face, it just gives them a little bit of a, a chance to eat it. Yeah. Um, and do you and find some, sorry, keep going. Sorry. Sometimes the little ones will fly out and eat it before the big ones do, but it's still cool to watch them eat it. That's that's what I love doing. So Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And do you find that the cause is your retrieve quite high? Because you're obviously watching it the whole way back. Like you're not worried about getting it down deep. And then do you find it has to be like right in the zone or it just has to be near that hole and they'll actually travel two meters to come and smack it and then head home? Well, because uh look, they'll move quite a fair way for it. Um a lot of the water I'm catching fish out of isn't the deepest holes. It's sort of the um, the bottom of the runs or or the, sometimes the top of the runs. Sometimes it's, you know, six feet would be quite deep. So if that lure's one metre down, right. you know, cod's eyes are on top of their head. They're looking up and seeing it. And if, if it's something they want, it's nothing for them to come up and grab it. Yep. Um, and if, if the lure's in your line of sight, like I try to keep it there because I like to watch it. You know, you can probably get them down deeper if you want, but I don't worry too much about it. And then... Is it the, those purses that you're throwing? Do you add weights to them, or they're just as is? No, nah, I just no, nah, just as is. Um, I sometimes I upgrade the hooks on them now, and that adds a little bit of weight and just makes them so they're a suspending lure straight out of the packet. But that just gives them a very slow sink. I love how you said uh, now. Does that mean you had uh, some encounters where the hooks didn't hold up? <laughs> I caught caught quite a few fish on the standard hooks, and I got a few big ones. Um, but I did get taught a lesson on the Upper Murray. I had a fish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> had a good fish at the side of the boat and uh, as I reached over for the net it uh, it dived under the boat and straightened out two barbs on one on each hook so that was the end of those hooks yeah, that was the end of those days they the standard hooks on them are quite good they're they're pretty sticky and I, I caught quite a few fish on them but yeah you know I'd be silly not to change after being taught a lesson like that so yeah. now I just now I upgrade them so what do you do just take it off and just split ring it onto the wire that it has on it or I have done that, but I've also started replacing it with braid or PA assist cord. I just find it, it's a little bit more um, flexible. Yeah. Sometimes I've seen quite a few small fish particularly, but big ones as well. Sometimes when they short strike the lure, because it's only held in there by a pin, you can actually see them suck the hook out. Even if they miss the, miss the bait, they sometimes still manage to suck that treble just inside their mouth and you can pin them. Right. Um, and I found when I went to braid or PA assist cord, I started getting more of those fish that would sometimes miss it i started to stick a few more my, my hookup rate went right up right so what do you do you've got the cord from the front hook to the back hook and you've still got that little back pin, hook. you've still got the little pin in there though yeah so i, yep. I tie the back hook on with a loop knot so the um the hook sits just a little bit just say 10 mil 15 mil below the lure yeah and um and i've got the pin on there as well um so it just pins on the loop as well sorry so it's got a little bit of slack in the line so the lure can swim freely 
Yeah. And um and the the hook's just hanging down just a little bit below the lure, and that seems to that seems to be the best way to get them. Yeah, and it helps. And so the hook's sort of yeah sitting in the belly of the loop knot, so just just sits down. Just sitting down there, yeah, and swinging very freely, so there's no resistance at all. They can't leverage it out of their mouth. Sometimes you know they've only got that back treble and. If I see them with just that back treble, I know that they're not going to be able to um, leverage it out with the lure like they can. Yep, and then it's tied to the front hook, and then there's just a toe point on the actual nose of the lure that's totally separate that's from right. the hooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you found so that works got, best. Yeah, uh, that's that's the best way that I've worked out. Um, I'm open to suggestions, but <laughs> it seems to be working pretty well for me. Well, no, you've. Um, I haven't seen anyone use those lures, and I'm sure a stack of others would work too. But I feel like that's like the perfect scenario uh, for yeah, that lure yeah. type. Really, like it's not something you could get down and fish easily um, in an impoundment. I like some other swim baits, so it's kind of it's like a really good scenario. Um, yeah, I was using it at Blaring on the weekend, just casting it over the top of the weed, sort of doing what I do. And I had one big boil come up under the lure, but didn't didn't see the fish or yeah, right. didn't feel it in didn't shallow. In very shallow, yeah, probably two feet of water. And the lure sat yeah. up high? Yeah, it was yep. only it had only just hit the water. I just, yep. just twitched it and paused it and a big boof a big uh, boil came up underneath it. I bet that got you excited. Yeah, I didn't take it off. Yeah. <laughs> so when was that? Was that in the morning session? Yeah, that was very early on the Sunday morning, um, about five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, that just was just on that very, fish. very first like period, yeah. Yeah, I could I sort of I heard it coming, like I heard, I sort of heard the wolf, and then the big boil came up just afterwards. But I think it might have just taken a second to get to the surface. Yeah, I, think I heard the heard the wolf underwater. Yeah, then you didn't feel anything. No, I didn't feel nothing. So maybe you like pulled the pin at the last second and took off. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, aren't they touchy fish in the dams? They can be. Ah, oh, yeah, for sure. They're not silly. Um, when I float down the rivers with my girlfriend, she usually throws a hard body. Um, like an AC invader or something like that, and she catches just as many as I do. That's a, another good way of doing it. Sometimes she gets more than me, but sometimes, yeah, they want one thing or another. You know, um, it's just a bit of an easy way for her to fish. She, she really enjoys just being out and doing something easy like that. What's her go to? Like a 70 mil or a 90 mil? Usually a 90 mil AC invader or yep. a 75 mil orgy, or um, I've got some uh, predators in there that I got from there. Murray Codference this year that she's used and done well on them too. Yeah. And do you find that they, um, you can even, because the water's so clear, you, she can, like, you can see the hard body the whole way back almost? If it's bright, yeah. Um, yep. she's, got a, she's got a bone white one, a uh, 75mm orgy plow with a painted bib. Yeah. And, and you can see that really well in the clear water. You can see that one all the way back. How cool um, is it up there? It's just a special place, that water. It is a special place, yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Um, so talk us through because I've fished it. I probably fished it six or seven times. Um, and I've had some incredible sessions like sea fish at your lure. Um, yeah. Chase it out. I've had like you've had them. You cast in the shadows or under a willow, and then they appear, and then they're full chasing it like along the bottom of the stones, coming right out into the clear stuff. It's like yeah, for sure, amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what. Every single river up north is in New England. Like, I'm sure they're all like, not the sort of, this is more for people, if you're listening, it's more like a trout stream pebble. Um, it's not like a gorge like you get up in New England, but I'm sure the clarity is very similar and what they experience up there. But um, talk us through, it's a summer fishery, um, but what happened, and I, like I was going to say, I've fished at heaps, caught stacks of fish, so many in the system. And then tell us about the bushfires. When were they? Yeah, in 
January of 2020, New Year's Day, a bushfire started in the area, a terrible bushfire. And a lot of people lost their homes and sheds and a couple of firefighters lost their lives fighting it. Um, that was the one that result, joined up with the um, the one up here. Why didn't they end up merging? They were both I don't know. Yeah, massive, I believe it did. I, yeah, they were both burning at the same time. I believe they did merge or they were very close to merging. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, between them, they, they burnt a lot. They covered a lot of ground. Yeah, it went from... I know it burnt all from Jinjalik all through Koryong. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is basically that whole section of the river. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty much from Cancoban uh, to Lake Hume, or not to Lake Hume, but to Jinjalik was burnt. Yeah, and then, yeah. so what did that, and then it was followed by a huge rainfall event, wasn't it? That's right, not long after. So after the bushfires, we were still catching fish up there for a couple of, probably, I'm not sure how long it was. It was a week or two. Oh, really? So you fished it after it was safe enough to go up there? Yeah, about three times. I got one over a metre after the bushfires. and um, Really? Like, yeah, we had some had some good sessions. The river was still low and clear. And what was it like um, up there? Was it eerie? We were, I was fishing the area below where the bushfires were. It was still smoking. Okay. The fires were still burning, but they'd gone the other way. Yeah. Um, so I was fishing between Gingelic and Lake Hume. Yeah. Um, and... As fishermen do, we were all, all talking about, you know, might be the last time we're up here because when that ash washes into the river, you know, um, fish will die or fish may die. We were hoping they would let some water go out of Cancoban to try and dilute the water or wash it down quick or, um, you know, try and save the fish as much as they could. Yep. But in actual fact, what they did was they tried to save Lake Hume, which is their asset. That's the water supply. Um so they let a lot of water go from the middle river or from, sorry, from Dartmouth down the middle river, trying yeah. to give the fish somewhere to go. And they kept that river, kept the upper Murray as low as they could. Really? To try to soften, soften the blow on Lake Hume, yeah. What? So you're saying, why did they let the water at the other end? Just just because and just to they keep... They let the water come uh, down the middle arm into Lake Hume to try to give the fish somewhere to go because that was nice clear water. The, the fish in Hume? Yeah, yeah. Right. So they just wanted to clear up one end so you're kidding so it actually stayed low so it stayed as low as i've ever seen it it could walk oh, across it moly what were they so what do you read the heights at a, like a height or at a megaliter? every day so do you every do you day. read do you look at meters or do you look at the megaliter release i look at the release from kank it's in cumex cubic meters per second yeah um so standard what i like to fish is anywhere I'd say 20 and below is fishable with lures. Yep. Um, minor flood levels, 80. Yeah, um, right. After the event, they brought up to 110. But during the time of the fish kills, they were letting out four cumex, four cubic meters per second. Yeah, wow. And then, which is nothing. It's a, it's a nothing. Cause so so I, I standard, um, I wouldn't say standard, but see, I read it in meters at Bridge and Brong Bridge. Yeah, yeah. And I like to fish it below like 1.3 or yeah, 1 okay. or 0.9. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you know what the four. So is. at Gingelic, at Gin I, I read the river levels probably similar to you. Um, yeah. I don't really read it at Bring and Brong. Um, I, I read it down a bit further because it gives a reading for down where I fish. Yeah. If I read it at Bring and Brong, there's a few other, other creeks that come in. Yeah. Um, that can be high or dirty or whatever. So reading it down a little bit closer to where our fish gives me a bit of an idea of where the river is. Yeah. Um, and so at Gingelic, I would say low would be one metre. Like that would be as low as it gets. 
Yeah, okay. Um, generally, and it was at about 750 or thereabouts. Wow. So they just like left it. Is this because they just knew the rain was going to come and then that was just the plan? So you had three weeks, you reckon, you were fishing it and it was just low, low. Yeah, I can't recall how long it was, but it was about two or three weeks um, that we were catching fish up there. We were up there every weekend. Yeah. So I think, I think two weeks. Um, and, you know, there was this rain event forecast and we're saying, well, when this rain comes, hopefully they let some water go. We didn't know that that, that was their plan. Um, and it turns out that the water um, that was coming out of Lake Hume did have some, uh, it was very close. The dissolved oxygen was very low in there. In all Hume. the crayfish below Hume. Um, really? All the, crayfish, all the crayfish crawled out of the water below Lake Hume. Um, but no fish died that I'm aware of. So I think I think what they did, they probably saved another stretch of river. So I, wow. I don't know whether it was whether it was good or bad. But what's done is done. Yeah. So did the fires burn on the southern side in the mid catchment? Did the fire rip through there as well, or no? No, they went around that way, um, and there were fires burning up um, between the, the Mitter River and the Kiwa River up there. Um, there were small fires burning up there, but uh, no. Nothing like what the Corriong fires were. I think the Corriong fires went around nearly to Talangata or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so they were on the southern side, but not that not that far around, not, not towards like, the middle yeah. arm. And whereas every bit of rain that, like every bit of raindrop that hit the water on that catchment had burnt Grant or like on the north side. Through, That's right. Yeah. And, so it was all yeah. going to be ash. So, so if they diluted it. You reckon if they added, I'm just hypothetical because it doesn't matter now, like yeah. you said, if yeah. they diluted it coming in, wouldn't that have helped it or, or you're saying it would have helped push it down or from their point of well, view? It would have pushed I, it I in harder. Know. You know what I mean? It's it's just... I, yeah. What do, what do you do? Yeah. They're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Yeah. Um, look, I was when we went after the rain event and after the fish died, I did speak to one of the fisheries fellows up there um, and he said, I asked him that question, I said, if they let water go, would this have happened? And he said, it certainly would have helped. It, so, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I know it would have helped the Murray, but I'm just curious if they had a diluted it coming down, if it would have helped dilute it in Hume or would it help push it quicker? But I'm surprised. That's crazy. That's a lot of ash to have almost knocked over, like the fish in Hume or even down further in the river. Like, yeah. That's so, bigger than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was big. Um, you know what those hills are like up there that burnt. They're very steep, and mm. um, you know it's all forest. So there was a lot of ash in there. Wow. In fact, I was I was hunting up there this year, and um, even after a couple of rains, walking around on some of those hills, you're sinking past your boots into ash. Really? Like, my, yeah, my boots were full of ash from just walking on some of those hills. Wow! And that's neat. Like, and that's, how long ago was that? That was like uh, that was rough. in April last year. So yeah, after a few rain events. Yeah, well, so so because the rain that came, it, and I wonder if it like rained a little bit and then a little bit, it might have not been so bad. It was a big rainfall. It event. was torrential for it days. Was shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which also wouldn't have helped. Uh, you know, no one can control that. No. Um, all the, so pretty much all of the creeks in the area. Um, there's a little Macquarie perch population that was uh, nearly wiped out. I think it's Manus Creek. Manus. I was um, going to say, yeah, I saw, I saw Manus yeah. and it was just sludge. So Luke Pierce from, from New South Wales Fisheries, he, uh, there is little pets up there, I think. So he went up and managed to pull a few of them out before the before the event. Yeah. Um, he did a great job. I'm not sure how many he got, don't quote me, but I think it was around 50 or so. Yeah. Um, and he took them to the, I think, the Naranja Fisheries and looked after them for a little while and they're now back in the creek. So he did a great job saving them. 
Um, yeah. But a few of a few of the other creeks in the area, um, the Koryong, Kajiwar, um, all of them, yeah, they a lot of fish died around in those in those small water. They were just full of full of ash. Yeah, it would have been. Um, and you saw it yourself. Oh uh, yeah, we went up and picked up a lot of the cod. Um, oh, the yeah. Lavington Anglers Club organised a clean up of the river because that was the thing. The next thing that would have happened is those fish that have died now decay in the river, and you know can cause bacteria and suck out the dissolved oxygen and all that stuff. So so we went and picked up all of them. So how did you do um, that? Run us through what that was like, how long after, and then what was the process there? So it was the weekend after the fish kills. Um, I think the fish kills, it was it was about a week afterwards anyway, thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so the, the hardest hit areas were where any creeks flowed into the river. Yeah, right. Um, because as I said, a lot of fish died in those creeks and they pumped in a lot of black water. Yeah, all the all the way up to as far as you can go. They um, a lot of fish died in those little creeks, and then the Murray River below Gingelic was, uh, a lot of big fish were wiped out through there. A lot of the big, a lot of the fish we picked up were well over a meter. Far um, out. Not a lot of small ones, which is probably a good thing, um, but a lot of the big fish just didn't seem to do very well. Yeah, um, and also a lot of carp, which, to me, carp are, they can breathe oxygen, so I don't know, don't know why it affected them so much. Yeah, um, and yellowbelly, which there's not a lot of yellowbelly in the river up there. There is a few, um, like every every year fishing up there, you might catch three or four as bycatch, as opposed to you know other rivers where you catch one or two a trip. Yeah, there's not many, is there? Um, and we picked up a lot, so there's not many there, and we picked up a lot, so I think it hit them pretty hard as well. Yeah, right. So how'd you do that by boat? Well, yeah, a few of us had boats, and a few of us were on the bank. I took my boat up um, and just just netted them and put them on the floor, and then took them back and put them in a trailer and went and buried them in a farmer's paddock. Yeah, right. So we had... Um, Sorry, keep going, yeah. We had a few fishing clubs got involved. The ginger guys were there um, and they, they did a little stretch down. So we went from pretty much gingelic to our fishing club cabin, mm-hmm. which is at Talmalmo. Yep. And then they pretty much did from Talmalmo to a property they had in just above Lake Hume. Um, they did a great job as well. So we ended up with about uh, six trailer loads or thereabouts of dead fish. Um, and I, I would estimate there would be about maybe 50 cod over a metre or something like that in there. And that was just the stretch you did? Yeah, that was the stretch we did, which was probably the hardest hit stretch yeah. um, of the river itself. Man, so bad in that. Paint a picture, yeah. what it looked like. Was it just black everywhere? Was the water like, could the you water see was, into the water or was it sludge? No, it was absolute sludge. I was walking across rapids. I had bare feet, um, and then I couldn't see my feet under the water in ankle deep water. As in, as soon as where the water line was touching my foot, I couldn't see any further. It was so, the worst clarity I've ever seen. It was terrible. Was it water? Did it look like water, or did it look like it was just black, just black? It looked like it was ink in it. So the water, you could actually see the water. It didn't have like debris on top. It was mixed in, like it was. It had deb- it had debris on it. When you get out, or when you um, say, for example, the example I just used, walking through the rapid. Yeah. When I pulled my foot out, it was covered in ash, like it was covered in Far debris. Out. It was not only on the surface; it was through the whole water, but there was a layer on the surface as well. Yeah. And, and it... burnt logs coming down, and um, you know, dead crayfish and shrimp on the banks, and uh, carp as far as you can see, and just big white bellies of cod all the way down the river on both sides. Yeah. That would have messed. What? What? I can ask a dumb question, but like for you being an angler, yeah. like how did it make you feel? Like, sh- yeah, like you. Yeah, I'm sure you can me. imagine it was. Yeah. it was terrible. You know, you, you can. I'm sure you can tell how passionate I am about the place I've 
I've caught so many good fish up there and spent so much of my time up there and uh, just to see them, you know, well, there was a, there's a log where I, I caught a big cod. I caught a metre 12 with my girlfriend um, earlier in the season and, you know, here's this big dead cod floating against this log. I don't know whether it was the same one or not. I didn't measure it, but. You had you know, a feeling that. Oh. had a feeling it was the same one. So, you know, I caught that fish and let it go and it lived up until that moment. You know, how, how are you supposed to feel about it? Metre 12 from a river. Well, it's an old fish. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful, big, fat, old fish, you know, and let it go to keep growing and there it was against its log kind of thing. Yeah. So, and I know that's a natural thing. Like, there's, I guess, you know, that's it's just how the world goes, I guess. Like, I get, like there was something that could, they could have done maybe to help, but still it was a natural, like all the creeks were, like the creeks you said got yeah. hit real hard and there's nothing you can do about yeah, the creeks. Do. And, and they're, yeah, they're not regulated. So, yeah. I, look, I don't, I don't know whether uh, letting water would have helped, letting water go would have helped, but it, uh, yeah. you know, wouldn't have hurt to try, I don't think, but that's mm. just my opinion. I'm pretty passionate about the place and what they did probably did save fish down further. So, just the way that it went so what uh to you now have yeah. you have you what are we when was that when was it new what when did you say it was 2020 january, january, january 2020 yeah yeah so so january 2020 went we are now say a year and a half on um yeah i'm guessing you've been back have you been back to fish it how does it I've been, look i've fished it once once um, the, the river's been high and dirty ever since you can um, it's it's been absolutely filthy since that day. It's come down for a weekend here and there, but uh, I like it. I like the river to be low and level. I like it to be level for a week or so. Uh, that's just a personal opinion. I've got heaps of little little things like that, but it just hasn't been hasn't been good enough for me to go up there. Is that from um, the rain that we've had, or is that from the regulation out of Cancoben? It's from both. Um, the amount of water that's been coming down there from Cancoben is absolutely phenomenal i've never seen so much i'm not even i don't know where it's all coming from or how they've had so much they've had that minor flood level plenty of times since then wow um and so the other small rivers that i fish have been much better the conditions have been way better so i've just focused on them for the past 12 months yeah um i would i would like it to be fishable so i could go back up and have a look people lots of people ask me about um how it is up there or how it's affected it but yeah i can't answer the question i don't know i the one time I did fish up there, the river was not ideal, but it was the best it had been. Um, and I went up as high. I caught one, and when I hooked it, a bigger one ate it. Really? Yeah, it was a, it was about my third cast for the day. Um, I was just the water was absolutely filthy, but it, but it was better than it had been. Wow! Um, and just fishing a rock wall and just felt a little tap, so I, I hit it and I thought, oh, that's that's a good fish. So I got the net out. Fish came to the surface and shook its head, and a little one flew out of its mouth with Malua. So wow. it, it all happened. It all happened at the same time, but like I only felt one bite. Yeah, and yeah. And I was straight straight into a big fish. So whether they both hit it at the same time, or the little one hit it, then the big one did, or what? I'm not sure. But one bite, I thought I was onto a good one, and then when it came to the surface, it threw the little one back at me. How big was so, the big one? Do you see it or not? I got a good look at it, and I'd say it was about a meter five or somewhere. Oh, like it was a, a good good one. Oh. Yeah. The one it spat out, I was fishing at Lavington Angler's Club comp, and the one it spat out was legal. Uh, it was like 57 Jeez. or something like that. So, did it survive? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it had a bit of had a bit of blood, but um, it was it was fine. It had both had one treble in each side of its mouth, so otherwise, I think I might have got them both. But yeah, yeah just, how just the way it is went. that? But then I, I fished for the rest of the weekend and didn't have another bite. That's so. crazy. And 
so obviously there's, a, there's still some big fish in there, but do you think, what do you think? The population, there is a lot of big fish through there. And did do you know how the cleanup went further upstream? Like, did you hear that there was heaps of fish pulled out upstream or you said your area was hardest hit? There are still fish caught up there. Um, the area that we cleaned up was the hardest hit of the river itself. From the deaths. The creeks, from the deaths, yeah. The creeks that flow in, they were hit very hard. They do hold small populations of cod as well, or actually quite large populations of cod for their size. Um, and they, some of those creeks had nearly 100% wipeouts. Holy dolly. Um, and where those, where those creeks entered the river, the fish died in there or, or blew out of the creek, I don't really know, but there was dead fish in the, in the river in those areas as well. Um, since then I've heard of quite a few fish caught in the area on bait but it hasn't really fish have been caught on lures as well it always happens but um, not as many as as I would normally expect to hear from up there yeah 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 for what Um, what it was in such a special part of the world it's mm. yeah our fishing our fishing club cabin sorry to cut you off no keep going Um, so our fishing club cabin um, was not used very much since then, as you can imagine, after the fish kills. But the people that have been there have not caught much at all. I probably know of five or six fish caught there from maybe 20 people going there. Yeah. Um, even over the weekend, a couple of the guys who do quite well on bait, they um, went up on Friday, came home on Sunday, didn't lose a bait for three days. What? For two boats, um, three blokes, two boats. Jeez, that's sad. So, so the area is still, uh, there's been fish caught in the area that was hit the hardest and there's been some big fish a couple over a meter but definitely not as many as you would expect those guys going up there before the fish kills would have caught 80 you know 60 or 80 fish yeah 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 i know what it was like we used to have 25 fish days like yeah on lures and these guys get them all day on bait you know and quite a few good ones oh it's Um, such a shame even you know not that many but it would be nothing for them to get double digits you know yeah Um, for a weekend like that, that that would probably be a quiet weekend. So, if you if you look at it, it's running. You know how you said it's running high and dirty. Even when they pump yeah. the water out of Cancoban, like high, not probably the minor flood that you're talking about, but when they pumped yeah. it out pretty high, it always stayed fairly clear though back in the day. But now because of what the dirty water from the creeks, a lot of the creeks, yeah. So the, if you go up high, you can still find um, clear water. Depend if there's been no rain. Um, but we've just had the rain has been so uh, so yeah, evenly nice. distributed, yeah. you know, um, sort of in the area. If it doesn't rain for two weeks, everything clears up, but it just seems to be raining every weekend at the moment, what has done for so long that uh, the river just seems to stay dirty. Yeah. And when it rained before, because there was so much lush vegetation up there, it would have held back a lot of the sediment now because it's just scorched. Even it's, though it's been a year and a half, it'll never be the, it probably won't be the same for five years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it a, runs a lot off. more sediments hitting the water. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. I fished, um, I fished, like I said, the Murray a few times, but I reckon I fished those creeks up there. I could not count the amount of times I fished those creeks 20 or 30 times. Yeah. We've pulled meter cod yeah. out of those creeks. Yeah. And I would be saying that they would all be pretty well gone, those ones we caught. Yeah, well, so there's a um, a couple of guys. Uh, we had a bit of a meeting up at the Ginger Lake Pub with New South Wales and Victorian Fisheries. So people from the Corion Fishing Club, you know, um, like Russell Mason from Complete Angler. Yeah. Um, and they, the fisheries did a little bit of study or did some studies in those creeks, Victorian fisheries, because they're Victorian water on that side. Yeah. 
and they did electrofish some fish out of them after the event. So there's still fish in there. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't mean to say there's none left. There's definitely still fish in there, but they were hit pretty hard for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So what's, uh, in your mind, what's the way forward? Because I know that area um, was a lot of work went into even like, I don't, did you guys do stockings? The... Yeah, the fishing club did stocking. Yeah. 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 Um, and they'll continue to do that. Yeah. Um, I did a little bit of work. I made some made friends with a few of the fisheries guys up there. I'm quite good mates with them now from after that event, um, just at that meeting. And they invited me up to do a bit of electro fishing with them up there afterwards. They're conducting a pretty cool study where they tag the male Murray cod because the males guard the nests. Yeah. And, and what they wanted to do was because the river's um, generally low in spring, they wanted to track those cod to their nests um, and monitor the nests and make sure that they're breeding um, correctly because they their opinion is that the natural recruitment would be far better than any restocking. Right. They're just, just far more successful than any restocking. So they wanted to make sure that they're breeding correctly um, and it's not just restocking that's keeping the system going. If there was something they could do to, to help them breed, yeah. um, that they thought they thought that would be far more beneficial than just um, throwing fingerlings in there. So how'd that So we go? did that. We did that. Uh, but the river has not been low to, to track them back to their nests. And also they found the Murray cod up there. I don't know if it's everywhere, but up there they seem to move a lot. Um, so they set up a bit of a range um, with, uh, I don't know, trackers or whatever on both ends. And a lot of cod a lot of cod went out of range, moved, you know, maybe not hundreds of kilometres, really? but dozens of, dozens of kilometres at least in that spawning time, yeah. So they moved. So how did the – so these aren't like – it's a proper tracker where they can track – where it's a proper fish... satellite tracker, yeah. Yep. So they also put a um, like a yellow tag in them that fishes that anglers can report if they catch. Yeah, but it's got um, a tracker. But it's a surgi- it. surgically inserted tracker, yeah. And it's and they've got pins yeah. for a certain area. Well, they didn't just <clears throat> use the whole Upper Murray, like they did no. Sections. So we just we just did a couple of areas. Yeah, they were um, they seem to be more focused on the area, say Tintaldra or the, the yep. upper parts of the river. Yeah. Um, what, what we talked about about the cold water before, I think their their idea was they wanted to see how they well, what they do in that cold water whether they go early or later you know how if the season suits um the closure you know, if the murray cod closure suits the fish in the area yeah um because as you know like in queensland their season's a little bit different than new south wales yep. um so yeah they they caught some big fish um which was great for me to see i was just happy to see some because at the time you know uh, it was not long after the fish kills um and they caught some trout and trout cod and you know, carp and redfin and yellow belly. And so that was, I was really happy just to see some fish and we struggled to get males. They said just some days you get females, some days you get males. Um, we struggled to get some, I think we got two, yeah. uh, but they've been back up since and they've got more. Um, I've been up with them once more and then they've gone once more without me and they've got more. So there are males in the area obviously and, and they were able to tag a few. Yeah. Um, and now it's just a matter of tracking them to their nests. So. And how come they can't track them to the nests if it's too high, the water, because the satellite doesn't Oops. work or? No, they would still be able to track them to the nest, but they want to be able to put cameras on the nests and monitor them. Ah, and they want and to the, be clear. Yeah. So obviously if they're, if they're nesting in three meters of water and it's, it's fast current and it's, it's, the clarity's not very good, it's impossible for them to monitor them. So Yeah. Yeah. So they actually um, want to watch so them and see the, if they're that's right, doing the so. right thing. Yeah. Yeah, and be able to monitor the finglings, and when they hatch, they want to keep an eye on them. So, geez, that's a big project, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it was a cool project to be a part of. I don't understand all of it. I'm only, a, you know, I'm just an angler, but it was really cool to be a part of. Yeah, and then from that, they then make decisions on whether they can help them or 
what they can yeah. do um, to help the natural recruitment. Yeah, and whether there's anything they can do with flows to help them or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. They're, they're a good group of blokes and they, they really, you know, they're all anglers, so they were very passionate about it and we were able to tell stories and, yeah, um, you know, I could tell they really wanted the right thing for the system. Yeah, so there's just... I guess that's a bit of light at the end of it all, hey. And that's, I guess that's, that was, that was the question I was going to lead into asking, which pretty well answered is like, where to from here? And I guess, yeah, I guess there's like the restocking that will go in, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. Yeah. But then obviously this project, and then, it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, I don't know if it'll ever get back to what it was in our lifetime, but eventually Look, it, maybe. It, but... it was a very special thing. Yeah. That's, it was very special. Um, I don't know if it will either. I really hope to see it that good again one day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Anyway, hopefully, see, see where it goes. But yeah, that's the Upper Murray, which yeah, I haven't been back to since. But that's a it's a real shame because it, like you said, it was special, special water. I'm just, yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a bummer topic to talk about when you talk about it and you sit here and you realise what's kind of happened. But um, it is, it is. Um, I have been up and I've restocked it as well in. Uh, Mid-December this year, I went up with my friend Alistair, who works for New South Wales Fisheries here in Aubrey, um, yeah. and we we stocked 6,000 Murray cod into the New South Wales side of the river up there. Yeah. So that that's happening as well, it's, um, which is a good thing. Yeah. And Victorian awesome. fisheries as well. Like I said, a few of those creeks are Victorian Victorian water. Yeah. Um, and the Victorian fisheries have done a great job of stocking those little creeks with numbers that they've put some massive numbers of fish into those creeks which will no doubt make their way down into the rivers as well so yep. it's a bit of a combined effort we're pretty lucky to be on the border in that respect that mm. two fisheries are two uh, you know two fisheries are both looking after it yeah yeah that's awesome is there anything else you want to add on that at all about up murray or fish kills or anything at all that you think that you'd like to talk about that we didn't touch on look i think we've covered it pretty well yeah 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 Cool. Just wanted to check before is we it, moved on. Is there anything else you want to add? No, nah, no, nah, that was it. That was it. That was um. I didn't. I didn't think I'd be as bummed by the end of talking about that. And so sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to take it out. No, of not me. Just <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like it, it makes you realise how much of a um how passionate we are about fishing, and and it would be mean way more to you than me because it was a place I visited. It wasn't like my home local yeah, spot. Yeah, well, like it's where only it is 40, to you. forty minutes from my house. So that's... yeah. It's the, probably the easiest place for us to get to, and we had so many good times up there, you know. But mm. it's just the way it goes. Like you said, it's nature, and we are fishing other rivers and doing the same stuff. So they're yeah. just, I suppose we're not getting as many big fish, but we're having just as much fun doing it. Yeah, that's right. It was only an hour from my place. I'm disappointed I didn't fish it more prior to it. I fished a fair yeah. bit, but yeah, it's, yeah, anyway. Um, Thanks for sharing all that. That was really good and interesting to hear, um, especially yeah, from right. you experiencing it and everything. So I wanted to ask you a question too. Can you tell me about that golden tag fish you caught? Yeah, we caught two. I caught one and my girlfriend caught one. How crazy is that? Now, guys, if you want to take your fishing to the next level and you want to receive up-to-date information on a regular basis about some of our top waterways and fishing destinations, then we have the answer for you. Every single month inside the SF membership, it's an online, a digital platform for freshwater anglers, we have monthly reports. So we have keen anglers from around New South Wales and Victoria writing updated regular reports from their trips, what they learned, their experiences. They're putting it into a concise monthly report and sharing sharing it with you 
every single month. It points you in the direction of where the fish are biting, what they're biting on, if they're active, if they're not, if it's worth visiting the spot, and they share their experiences as well. Now, I know one of the biggest contributors to consistently catching fish is knowing what you're doing. If you look on social media and you see people who catch a stack of fish, there's, there's three fundamental rules, and I've talked about them in a few presentations, but there's three key aspects to those what those people do and if you do those three things you'll have success like them one of them is obviously time on the water knowing what you're doing but it's also having relevant information and that's where reports and understanding exactly what to do at that time is incredibly important so you can know a system you know how to fish a system say for example you go on a Lake Mawala. You fished it before and you fish it here and there. You go down and you will go to that system and you will try and fish it based on you know, how you had success last time. But the seasons might be different. There might be a cold flush of water. There might be more weed. The clarity might be better and the fish might be behaving a completely different way. But if you got information from a short report that said the fish are feeding in this area, these lures are working best because the water clarity is a bit, a bit clear. So you want to use a natural color lure, etc., etc. That will put you so much further ahead than trial and error during that trip. You might only have two or three days. Say you go down, even if you have a single day for that whole month that you can get out fishing, do you really want to spend that single day trialing different lures, wondering where they're going to be biting, especially if it's tough conditions, when you could answer all those questions by just getting a monthly report from that system? Now, it doesn't matter where you're fishing. We have these monthly reports and we're continuing to grow them. So we've obviously got them for the major waterways. And as time goes on, as we build the platform, we will add more and more reports. But every single month, they will be there. So if you're planning to go fish that lake on that month, you can check the report just before you head out and get the information that you need. Now you can check which reports are available before you even become an SF member but there's heaps of other awesome stuff inside the membership. But to learn more make sure you visit socialfishing.com.au or if you want some personal information from me or if you have questions for me you can send me an email at admin at socialfishing.com.au. Don't let not knowing what the fish were biting on be an excuse anymore because we have the answers for you. Now guys let's jump back in and continue our chat with Josh. Yeah, so mine, <laughs> I was very lucky. I um, was, uh, we were at a fishing club. The fishing club also has a cabin at Mitter Mitter. I know it sounds like they've got lots of cabins, but they've only got two. <laughs> um, so we're at a working bee up there um, and I just, I wasn't ready to go home. So I ducked into the dart bondage, the dartmouth bondage. Yep. And uh, middle of the day, like, you know, maybe 11 o'clock in the morning, sun was high, not very good trout conditions, as you as you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it all happened. I was using a little Norris Wasabi, which is a pretty shallow diving minnow. And uh, I use them probably similar to I use the per- how I use the Percy the Purges. I twitch them and pause them. And uh, I paused it, just just about to pull it out of the water, and I saw a big shadow cruising behind it. And as it ate the lure, I saw, the, I saw a tag in its back, and I knew they were in there. I knew the golden tags were in there. Yeah. And uh, it took off, jumped, and carried on and rolled around. And, and at this point, did you think it's one of them? Like you knew it was one well, of them? I, I had a yeah. I was fairly yeah. sure that it was. Yeah. yeah. So you're a little bit more. Um, you're a little nervous fighting it yeah, compared had, to a normal trout. <laughs> yeah, and I had nothing. Like I, I literally ducked in there for a cast. I didn't have my waders, my net. I didn't. I don't even think I had my bag with my tackle box. No pliers. Yeah. I literally grabbed my rod out of the car and just went for a quick walk. Um. So, like, I had this thing to the bank so many times and it only had the back treble in its mouth. 
and you know what trout are like they just throw hooks all the time yeah and um i could see there was the thing that caught my eye about the tag was it had heaps of green weed hanging off it like green yep. green algae growing off it yeah and i was thinking it's definitely a tag like and i don't know what else it would be it's got to be a golden tag and i was finally able to i just pretty much beached it and managed to get a hand on its tail and picked it up and yeah rubbed a bit of the green stuff off the tag and just read winner on it and, <laughs> and that was at a time see they've they've got numbers on them now you know whether you won two thousand or ten thousand when you catch them yeah um, but at the time i wasn't sure what it was whether it was two thousand or ten thousand so you know the rush was unreal um, yeah you know, luckily we'd been talking about how you have to keep the tag out of them because i didn't know that that's part of the golden tag program usually if you catch a tag fish obviously you take the number and you let the fish go yeah um a few, a few of the guys at the cabin overnight at the working bee said you've got to keep the tag. The fisheries said you've got to keep the tag so they don't give out, you know, too many prizes for one fish kind of thing. That was. Did you so, guys talk about that prior? Like you guys were just talking about the golden tag prior like, to catching it. We'd been talking about it. No the night way. <laughs> yeah, because we're in Victoria, we'd been talking about it. So just I don't know whether we summoned it or we wished it into existence, but there I was holding it in my hand. That's cool. Um, How big was the fish? Do you know? I didn't measure it. It was about 60 centimetres or so. Oh, it was so. a big um, trout. Like, it wasn't little. Yeah, it was a broodstock, an ex-broodstock. So, um, there's, they don't stock any broodstock into the Dartmouth Pondage. So, um, yep. it was, yeah, I'd say maybe, at a guess, I'm not much of a, not good of a, much of a good guess with trout, but I'd say it'd be four or five pounds, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then how do you take the tag and out? It, just cut well, it. they're not inserted very deep, not like a standard tag. You're supposed to cut them with pliers, but this just pulled out really easily. It was only just sort of just under the skin. It just was sitting um, there. I was going to say, because you didn't have pliers on you or nothing. No, I had nothing, no. <laughs> um, but then I went back up with my girlfriend, Leash, and she was walking behind me, and we spotted a fish in the shallows, and I spooked it. And uh, I said, oh, it's spooked, you know, we'll keep going. It was quite a good fish, probably similar to the, the golden tag one. Yeah. And she, st- she stayed there and kept fishing. And it only took her about three casts. And I don't know whether it was the same fish or not, but she hooked up. And uh, this fight just erupted. This thing ran and ran and jumped like they do, the same as the other one. Yeah. And uh, as it came into the net, I was more prepared this time. I saw the same thing as the last time. I saw the green weed hanging off its back. Yeah. I thought, I thought I know, I know what that is this time. So I got him in the net. I didn't want to tell her that I, I didn't say anything to her about the tag until we had him in the net because I didn't want her to panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and... Yeah, so that was the second one. I knew exactly what to do that time because I'd already gone through it all. So we were lucky wow. enough to get two of them. That is crazy. So yeah. you went dart again for that one? Yeah, to the bondage again, yeah. That's crazy. So, how, how far apart were those two fish? Uh, one bay, maybe 500 meters or so. That's insane. Um, and it wasn't that long like either, was it? It was a couple of weeks? Or oh, it was wasn't it? long apart, yeah. It was about three weeks or something like that. I had a guess. I'm not too sure. How good is that? Were they both $2,000 fish or did you get a Yeah, they were $2,000 $2, each, yeah. Yeah. How good is that for going fishing? Yeah. It was actually, it was summer too. It was, oh, sorry. I'll have a look. It was, I've just had a look. It was two weeks apart. Yeah. Um, Leashes was just before cod opening. So we said we'd go up for one last trout mission before cod opening. Um, and and that was the result. So that is so good. There probably there can't be many in there that'd be tagged. Like in no, the itself. numbers. This is only my theory, but the numbers were ten numbers apart. So I thought maybe they put ten in. Yeah. Okay. But since then, I've now I saw a post that they put up the other day where they said they put three in the lake. So yep. maybe they did ten ten in total or something. I'm not sure. I don't really. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
How good, mate. How good. That's a funny story. Like, so, to catch yeah. one, but to catch two, like. To catch two, and the second time, like, every trout I've caught out of there since, I'm like, oh, I see it, I'm like, oh, it's a good fish. I wonder if it's got a tag, you know, but <laughs> it's the first thing you look for now. That's Usually, funny. I don't know about other people, but when I'm fishing for trout, when I first see it, I always want to look how good it's hooked, like how well the hook is in there. Yeah. But now I look at their back. That's all. I, I just want to see if it's got a tag in it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then if it's got a tag, you yeah. definitely be going for how's it hooked now. Yeah, after, that's right. After you uh, see the tag. Yeah. Mate, honestly, after going through it a couple of times, you'd probably rather not know. My heart was in my throat both times. Because you saw you the know, second one, didn't you? You saw the tag before it got to shore. Only just. It was sort of just at that stage where I was coming into the net, whereas the first one I saw it pretty much as it ate the lure. So. And then I fought it for, I reckon it was probably 10 minutes. Oh, really? So, the first one? Yeah, because it ate it at the bank and then just roared out to the middle and just wouldn't come in. Holy mo- that's it a just, long just held its ground. Yeah, it was very knackered after that. I actually had to keep that one, but the other one we released, okay? Yeah, wow, that is a big fight yeah. for a Because okay. I only, I, well, in the streams, I only used three-pound leader, and I still had three-pound leader on my rod, so oh. that's what I got it on. So, so here you so are very... with a 60-centimeter trout and three-pound leader and two grand hanging yeah. off the end of your rod. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can imagine it was, yeah, <laughs> some hard in throat moments when it was rolling around on the bank. And actually, when I when I grabbed it, after I beached it, when I grabbed it, the line snapped too, so... Oh. I had it in my hands and a line snap, so as you can imagine, just heading up the bank. <laughs> <laughs> How good, mate. That's such a good yeah. story. That yeah, it was cool. great. It was such a good initiative from Victorian Fisheries. It really it encouraged us to head to the region. Yeah. It's a shame it's a shame that COVID sort of put an end to it because the idea was to um to bring sort of tourism to these bushfire affected communities. That's mm-hmm. why they that's why the what the why the whole Golden Tag program started. So in Malakuda and you know, all across the Victorian countryside where towns had been affected, they yep. wanted to bring tourism into them. So it's just a shame that COVID sort of put an end to it because, yeah, it definitely encouraged us to go up there yeah. after, after going through it. Yeah, I don't know. It's put an end to a lot of stuff, hasn't it? And that, that was a really yeah. good thing that they had going. Obviously, it's still there, so it'll kick back off when, you know, if the world kicks back off, but who knows when that'll Yeah, happen. that's right. I'm not sure if it's it's started yeah. and stopped a couple of times. I'm not sure if it's going at the moment. No, I think they put it on hold, so... Yeah, okay. And wouldn't wouldn't that bum you to catch one while it's on hold? Like, well, if you could fish it. it'd be just my luck probably to do that, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, would for sure. Yeah. So, uh, just got a couple more questions for you. When you're chasing trout, because you've done a bit of trout, you do a bit of lake stuff, um, do you fish the lakes more for trout than streams or do you do not do a heap for trout compared to cod? I try to – I definitely don't do as much for trout as I do for cod, but I do enjoy it when I do it. I sort of uh, – I don't do it for a while and then I'll go and do it and I'll get the bug and I'll go and do it for a couple of weekends and then I'll sort of get over it again for a while. Yeah. Um. I, I really like fishing those little lakes, not just the dart pondage. Um, there's a few, yeah. There's a few in Victoria that I like to fish. Smaller um, lakes, like on foot fishing. Yeah, just wading around them or just walking around the banks. Yeah. What's um, your approach? Sorry, keep going with what you're saying, but like, what's your approach for fishing off the bank? Small stuff. If I like someone's to throw, trying throw to do minnows, it. like those norries, norries, wasabis. That's probably what I like to throw the most. But just little minnows like rapalas, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and I move quite quick. Um, that's probably the cod fisherman in me. I know some people are far more thorough than I am, but I, I just walk around, just walk and cast the banks. Um, they'll sit in quite shallow, particularly in first and last light. Like we were talking about at the start, I like to fish those low light periods. I don't go out all day kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's what I'll do in the lakes. I'll walk the banks early 
Um, and then if I'm in an area with a stream, I'll probably go and fish a stream during the day because they seem to be a little bit less light dependent. They're sort of more, um, if there's a bug hatch or something like that, they'll bite all day. So Yeah. And then um, when you walk in yeah. those lakes, do you, yeah. you know, you said you walk quick. Do you stop, do you cast, retrieve it in, then walk? Or are you, do you find yourself half walking during the retrieve? Uh, and then do you yeah, walk probably, in the water or out of the water? I'm probably more um, walking while I'm retrieving. Um, in the dart pondage, you're not allowed to wade in the water. Right. Uh, I still I still do wear waders, but because it's a town water, you're not supposed to wade in there. Yep. Um, but it's it's quite a muddy and slippery lake, so I wear waders, and it's grassy around the banks. Yep. Um, just so because it's it's you know usually winter when I'm fishing or more spring. Yeah. And the grass can hold a lot of water. The waders are quite handy, but you're not allowed to go into the water. Okay. Um, but but in the other lakes, yeah, I do. I um I wade around sort of waist deep and just just push my way around the edges and um, cover quite a bit of ground and then I'll just hop out and walk back to the car. Yeah. No, nice. Yeah. And then – if... Sorry. I do I do a little bit in the boat as well up at Lake Dartmouth and a few of the other lakes and just do a similar thing, cruise the banks and, and cast. Cast um, the edges. I, cast the edges. I won the Dartmouth Cup doing that this year. I caught the biggest fish of the Dartmouth Cup. I shouldn't say I won it, but I caught the biggest fish and we won the team event. Yeah, I heard about um, that. Yeah, just casting the banks. So a lot of people were trawling and saying the fish were down deep, but we did quite well just casting the edges and, and got some pretty good fish. Um, my average size was just just under a kilo. I had 5.9 kilos for six fish, yep. which um, you could weigh in 10 fish for a team, and my six nearly won it just just themselves. Yeah, okay, that's the go. And then what were yeah. you doing, the same same technique, same little minnows and yeah, hard just, bodies? Yeah, minnows and hard bodies, yeah, just twitching and pausing and, um, similar to the cod, I was watching a lot of them eat it, which is just what I love to do. So that, that was a really fun way of catching them. A lot of them ate it quite at the, right at the boat and would follow it all the way in. And, you know, you'd figure eight them or twitch them and pause them and, and then they would eat it. Like they, they hadn't really seen, not that they hadn't seen it, but uh, it just seems to be a little bit less of a method that's not done so much up yeah. there. Yeah. So you're looking for fish, like you're chasing fish that are kind of on like edges, cruising, and, and is your retrieve kind of quick or are you, you pretty methodical in terms of the twitches and the slow stuff? I think I sort of just find myself on autopilot. I'd say it's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how I'd chase yeah. trout too. Yeah. Quite quick, but just um, implement a few pauses and play around with it a little bit. That seems to seems to trigger them to eat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, same as same as walking the banks, I cruise around quite quickly and just cast at the edges. Um, a lot of the fish came from right on the edge, like within you know a meter or less of the bank. Yeah, that's exciting, eh? Yeah, and like I said, we got to watch a lot of them eat, which was really cool. And then that's that's awesome, mate. I've just got um, a couple of questions about sort of the cod stuff. You said your yep. favourite style of fishing is obviously the river systems, the clear stuff. That's your summer. That's your summer thing. Um, which yep. I'd agree because chasing cod in the impoundments in summer is hot, no shade, yeah. real hard yep. going. Um, and then obviously the winters, the damn stuff. From your experience, and I know it's going to be a question I probably ask everyone now because you're running live stuff in your boat now, yeah? Yeah, yep. My old man's, my dad's got a live scope in his boat. Yeah, I don't have any in my, I've only got a little punt. The little one, yeah, but the big yeah, boat. Yeah, but... So what's your experience, what's your thoughts on it? How have you found it? What have you learnt from it? And what's your experience using it so far? Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot to learn. I think a lot of people um, maybe without one or have, haven't used one probably think it's easier than it is. Um, yeah. It took me a long time, multiple donut trips. We were going down to my whaler every weekend once the, once the rain hit and the um, clear water sort of dirtied up. Yep. Uh, and we caught some good fish, but we also had a lot of donut trips, a lot of early starts without a fish until we worked it out. 
Um, we talked to a lot of people and learned a lot of stuff about it, and I still don't know very much about it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I'm at, I'm at a stage now where I can at least find a fish and maybe get it to eat, you know. Um, we were lucky enough to get a metre 25 and a metre 10 and a few other a few other big fish. Um, and, yeah, I, I quite enjoy using it now. And um, on the weekend, as I said to you before we started, uh, we had a little bit, bit of a mishap with the boat and the, the live scope was not wired up anymore. Um, and I was able to apply what I've learned from the live scope and I, I knew where my lure was and what depth it was at. Yeah. And I was just, just picturing what it would be doing from what I've seen with the live technology. So I def- cool. definitely have learned a lot from it. How and cool also, is that, eh? Yeah. Like I, I, honestly, if I had the live scope there, I would have used it, but I was quite confident not using it just from what I've, I've learned when I am using it. And it's, yeah. do you reckon it's changed the way you realize what your lure is actually doing under the water and how the fish are behaving? Definitely, for sure. How crazy um, is that? Those fish have got far more personality than I ever gave them credit for. Um, we were always taught the cod sitting on its snag, just waiting for food to come past, and that's just not the case. Um, they're, you know, they're midwater and they're up and moving around, um, and you know, they've they've got personality. They're on the move all the time. They'll oh. come and look at your boat. They'll look at your lure. They'll ignore it. You can put it on their nose ten times. They won't even acknowledge it. Yeah. Or or you put it within five metres of them and they race over and eat it. You know, they're, they're really quite moody. Um, and also the way they the way they eat the lures, I've, I've seen it myself in person, you know, in the clear water. But you don't often see them actually stalk it and you don't get to see them turn around on it, you know, and and um, the first stage of of the eat, whereas now I sort of can picture what, what's happened before they eat it, you know. Yeah. Um, Do you find that a lot of them try to eat it head first? Yeah, they cruise underneath it along yep. parallel or, or beneath it and try and hit it from at least beneath but yeah usually head first yeah like they come underneath and eat like yeah. below the head of it yeah how yeah. crazy is it like yeah they're funny fish and yeah it's, it's on it's got to be i think um tom pinter said it's on par with surface fishing and i couldn't agree more it's so exciting when you see one following your lure you know um people know a lot of the fish i catch i don't even have a, have a sounder in my boat so yeah. It's not as if I'm, I'm only catching them because of this technology, but I think it's just a, the best thing ever. It's so exciting when you see one coming. And it changes and, sort of like a session where you get completely nothing, not a hit, and you still enjoy it because you're like, wow, we like learnt so much, saw so yeah. much. Yeah. And there can be mornings, you know, everyone wants to know how you went. My phone rings nonstop when people know that I'm going fishing. <laughs> and my answer's gone from, you know, nothing this morning, no bites, no hits to like, oh, we had five follows, but yeah. we wouldn't have, known, wouldn't have known if we didn't have the live scope. We would have said it was a dull morning, but, yeah, you know, we, we had five follows, but they just wouldn't eat. Or, yeah, yeah oh, I had one charge up, but it turned away or, you know, whatever it might be. It's kind of like uh, taking trout in the lake scenario where you can see them following you, but now it's cod, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I've also used it in Lake Hume on the redfin. That's like shooting fish in a barrel sometimes but geez it's good fun when you can just know your lures right in the middle of them and you can watch fish follow on your the fish you've caught up and all that kind of thing yeah isn't they fun aren't yeah. they funny where the whole school will just like branch like follow it will change its fish, shape yeah. and it's like birds in the sky chasing a chip and they all follow yeah. it aren't they funny that's exactly what it's like yeah and they full and yeah, follow it like, way more than they eat it yeah for sure and you can bounce it on their heads and they'll come and look at it and turn away Sometimes you, when you're catching redfin, you just think that there must be screens of them down there, and now you can see that there actually is. You know, when we were catching them in Lake Hume this year, there'd, there'd be 
you'd find a patch and you'd look around and there's a school on your left and a school on your right. You know, there's just must be thousands of them down there. Yeah, yeah. There's a, and, um, yeah, it's not a good thing for the fishing, but yeah, yeah. for our natives. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, I don't know, like I said, we've had a lot of fun with it and I can, I'm more than capable of catching fish without it. It's just another tool in the arsenal, so. Yeah. If you, there's a question, and there's a funny question, but I reckon I'm going to ask this to everyone. What would you prefer to get the hit knowing it's coming or the way you got the hit before, right? So, this oh. is this is for impoundments, right? So, just give me what you then. There's obviously it's answer however you wish. I'm, I'm actually keen to see how people answer this question. So, we're not talking about your river systems and that. Um, I know yeah, if you yeah. could pick one way to fish, that'd be your go. Um, and visually yeah. seeing them, which I agree, but if you could, yeah. if you could catch one. Just blind casting, let's look at a dam situation, a cod, decent cod, blind casting versus on that. And then, second question, which you're going to hate me even more for, is do you do you like where the technology has gone or would you prefer to go back when no one had it? Yeah, okay. That uh, first one has got me. <laughs> um, I think the moment's dragged out when you watch watching on live technology. Like it is. It's not this, not this sudden, you know, the moment you've been waiting for kind of thing. Yep. I think I would prefer that. I think I'd prefer the the sudden hit Yeah. rather than watching it coming. Don't get me wrong, watching them coming is awesome and it's a great experience. I think everyone should get a friend with a live scope and go and watch it. Yeah. But I think for me, it would that's that's what it would be. It would be that, that hit. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, you've, you've got me good. Um, and I maybe... I do like where the technology has gone. I think it's very cool, but it, like you said, it's probably not the best thing for the natives. Um, people talk about banning it in comps and stuff. I don't think that'll ever happen because I think a lot of those companies are major sponsors of the comps. Yeah, that's right. Um, maybe the world would be better without it. I don't know, but I'm pretty glad we've got it. Yeah. <laughs> I know I jumped all over, you did the, well. jumped nah, all over the place there. You but. did well. You did, you did well. I'll put you on the spot there real bad because even me yeah. listening to you answer the question, I'd be doing the exact same thing. I, I would have What's to, your opinion? What do you think? I would what, what have to agree on the first one and I've said that since the start, whoever I fish with because I know a few people I fish with go, nah, this is like awesome. I would still pick a hit, the adrenaline rush just from zero to nothing. Um, sorry, from like yeah. zero to 100. It's just yeah. I don't think you will ever beat that. But if I look at the whole scenario of going out for a night session, this is we're talking cod. Yellows is different. Talking yeah. cod for a whole night session in the dark, in the winter, in the cold. I'm enjoying the sessions more with it because something's going on. It's not just casting in the dark at nothing. Because that to, I don't know if someone enjoys the actual minus degrees casting in the freezing cold when you can't see anything like to me it's not a fun style of fishing i just do it because no, i know no. what can happen like i know that's right that i've got to put in this effort to get that moment that i want whereas if you go on your river and you float down the river you enjoy the whole day like that's right you, yeah you enjoy it's a summer day it's yeah yeah, yeah. the scenery pleasant. <laughs> even the spring yellows in in blaring like there's so much to see explore like it's a good day out so to me yeah. a session a session now is more exciting. So, unless you scan all night and can't find anything, then that really gets to you and you're like, I wish I just casted. But if if you're seeing fish, even if you see two follows for the night, like I'm referencing blaring, which is not the easiest place to fish, but, you know, you get yeah. follows. I would I, I probably enjoy this scenario we have now more, but if it actually come to the actual fish, 
uh, eating the lure. Um, yeah, it's got to be not knowing it's coming. I, I just don't think yeah. you'll ever beat that. But I still am still using it because I know that I'd prefer to catch one on it than not catch one at all, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that 120 you got last week, did you live scope it? Uh, so that's a weird one, actually. So it, we were using it. And yeah. what I found is blaring is a very tough place to use it. And if you guys don't have it, don't let that deter you from fishing blaring because I think you catch just as much with or without borderline. Like, because I've talked to people, Clint, um, Hansel, other people as well, they've tried it at blaring and really struggled because I think the fish actually sit on the bottom and hug yeah. the bottom and feed from the bottom and they're almost they're impossible, impossible to, to see. see. Yeah. So... I don't reckon... I've done seven trips to Blaring this winter and in the boat, we've had three hits, four hits, four hits in the boat, but we've only landed two fish and that would is, is usually an average. Like I usually average, you know, one fish every four trips before I used it. This year yeah. though, we had the boom of the redfin. The redfin haven't been in Blaring for 10 years because yeah. they died and they came back this year. So I don't know if it actually would have been tougher this year and the live stuff helped, but that's a whole nother conversation. But that 120, we were scanning, right? This is, I haven't, I don't think I've explained, I've talked about this anywhere yet, but we were scanning and we're looking at the bank and, and we're looking where we're going and I think, yeah, we, we found one fish that followed and then I spotted another fish, right? So the fish was coming in and I like to keep them at like 15 meters because if they get any yeah. closer, they know the boat's there and they come up and look at the boat and you've got to sit real still and not make a sound until they leave and then you got to follow them again. So yeah. he was sitting at 15 meters, cast, we did a few casts at him, we cast at him and I lined this cast up and he was, I think he wasn't quite lining up. But as we were sort of scanning him to work out where the lure and the fish was, the fella I was with, he took over. So I cast and he just started, I was like, just hold that pole and try and line me lure up. He Then like a shape formed real close to the boat, about five meters out from the boat and five meters down. And yeah. he's like, there's another one there. I'm like, I don't care. So this is when I fish it, I don't, um, I, you got to, like I saw it come up but like you've got to actually scan it for a while to work out is it a cod is it a carp and then i wasn't even worried about that fish i wanted to line this one up and then if the lure didn't line up i'd look at this the other fish does that make sense yeah 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 so, so he trying to fish them both in one cast yeah and i'm like he saw he saw that one and he's like there's another one i'm like yeah don't worry about that for a second like see if me lures line up with like the other fish so and then he scanned, look at the other fish and then i can't find my lure at all and then he scans back to the big fish right and yeah. he's like, that is a massive cod. And I saw it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I don't care at the minute because I didn't cast at it. Like, he's probably not even in line with me lure. And I took my hand off the the reel, right, grabbed the pole, like, to try and grab it off him to turn it back to this other one. And as I did it, I saw the other one cruising at 20 meters and then I was just like, this fish just grabbed it. So, the one under the boat. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, the one under the boat because... <laughs> When I first, like, I'm like, he's just going bang. And I'm like, yep, I'm on. And then I looked and pretty quickly I realized it was the big one because I knew my lure wasn't at 20 and the other fish was just still moseying on, like in the shot. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm on, yep. I'm on. And I'm like, that thing ate it. And it came up vertical. But when I, so it came up vertical. It was like swimming straight up in the water column. And I watched the recording back. And when I watched the recording back, when it was when he scanned and saw the big one before I grabbed the pole to turn it to the other one, my lure was yeah. right on its nose. Like you can see the lure, but I didn't see it at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah. right. And so you so you pretty much paused it to its face. Yeah, it was full paused, and he sucked it in like gone. The whole uh. plastic was gone <laughs> in the back of his throat. So 
I caught it using it, but I kind of didn't. But I wouldn't have caught it if we weren't scanning for fish because we wouldn't have been out fat chasing this other right. one. But this one hit me when I wasn't expecting it. So it was kind of, yeah, it was a so weird one. you got one. both. You got the unexpected bite and you got to scope it. That's pretty, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty special. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so the footage that we've got on it, we're capturing footage. It's pretty cool because you see the fish come up vertical. But in my experience, when you pause it, they spook nearly every single time. So I know. That's what we were doing wrong in my whaler when we first started using it. We were, you know, playing around with it when they follow and they just spooked every time. Yeah. But, Except I had one that was straight under the boat and I was tapping the butt like what you do with a grub when you're fishing for yellow belly and yeah. it flew up and ate it. Really? That was, that was Yeah, that was one that I got to do it. Yeah, that's But apart cool. from that, everyone, you just got to keep going like you pretend it's not there. How weird is it? It's, but in blaring... Prior to this, I've caught a lot of big fish, and I would say seventy percent have come on the pause. So work yeah. that out. I know, but then why do they spook when you do it? Work that out. Like, what is the go? We must have spooked so many fish back in the day because I would do like five, six wines pause. You know, yeah. five wines pause. Like, I just cannot work it out, and I have come to believe that the free swimmers, the big ones that you find, are actually not the ones you would normally catch casting blind. I think those ones actually sit on the bottom and fly up off the bottom to eat. Yeah. That's what yeah. I've worked out because I've casted that many fish um, and they can't be the fish we were catching before like using it. That's what I reckon anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You'd know, you'd know better than I. I don't. I haven't done as much up there as you have, but... A lot of the fish that we saw up there were up and about, and we couldn't even get them to turn. You know, yep. we were wondering wondering if they were even cod, but they were too big not to be. You know, that yep. just not even not showing any interest at all. Yeah, and I, I reckon. Think, sorry, go again. I was going to say, I think with those redfin and the carp in there, they've just got so much food at the moment they don't have to try too hard. So yeah, but then again, redfin have been like thick as in your other impairments too, and they still feed. So your barren jack cod. I reckon they have a completely different personality to your blaring cod. So I think we're learning that these fish are actually, their characteristics uh, change a lot from location to location. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I think the bone jack and the Wyangler cod, because of the structure, they feed a lot differently. Even the Copeton cod feeds so much different to those blaring cod. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that we're learning a lot more about them, but I think we're even questioning ourselves more now that we know more. It's Yeah. It's crazy. They're smart Sometimes fish. Yeah. Would they're... you rather not know? Would you rather not see? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool now. We learn a lot, but it's um it's changing the way we fish. But yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty definitely. cool. Even like I said on the weekend, just knowing where my lure was, well, like having a rough idea of where my lure was and what it was doing even without being able to see it, that was, uh, I realized at that moment that I definitely learned a lot from the live technology and the, in the limit exposure that I've had, as in I've only had it for six months. Yeah. What's so, what did you learn? What have you learned about your lure? Just just how it sinks, or can, yeah, what's just, the biggest yeah. thing? And I want to see if you if it's the same thing I'm thinking. What's the biggest thing that you've noticed from the retrieve of a lure and what it actually does? Well, I've been experimenting with the weight in the soft plastics a little bit. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, but yeah. I found that I was fishing my soft plastics too heavy. Yeah, um, I had to go a little bit lighter, but then it was riding in the water a lot higher than I thought it would be. Yes. I realized I had to let it sink a lot more and they don't sink like you think they would. No. If you don't give them line, they don't sink. Yep. That's the biggest thing that I've learned from it. I'm not sure if that was what you that's were going it. there. But yeah, that's yeah, it. That's, Isn't it crazy? I just, I was putting my lure on fish's noses with 
my, my jig head was too heavy and they just wouldn't look at it. And if I paused it and it sunk, they would just spook, like you said. Um, because and it I would sink unnatural, like it would sink like yeah, a Yeah, it just didn't look natural to them, yeah. Yeah. So then I went lighter. Um, I went down to a half ounce with those 22-centimetre shad teasers that I've been using. Yeah. And it, it made a world of difference just going down from three quarters to a half an ounce. All of a sudden, they were interested, you know, that the lure looked a little bit better to them. Yeah. And it would like pendulum sort of and sort of like hold. Like it doesn't – when you pause and you let it sink, if if you do that at 25 meters, it sinks a lot quicker than 15 meters and every meter you get closer, it sort of holds up higher. That's right. That's yep. right. Yeah, that's – without watching it, how would you ever understand that? But yeah. yeah that, that's exactly what happens. It's weird as – and the other thing is yeah. if you haven't got a lure that's say like you're talking about a three-quarter ounce – plastic but as soon as you get to there's like a there must be a line of weight or it could be the shape of a lure where it goes from it kind of retrieves flush to it like full goes up in the water column because your line drags yeah, that's it up right. how much yeah. does like you guys if you guys haven't used it and you're out there chasing cod if you're using a swim bait that sinks slowly it probably sits a lot higher in the water column than you think a lot yeah higher. that's right i couldn't agree more yeah because the line, the line doesn't sit straight. It like pulls your lure up as you start to wind. You do three cranks and if you do them quick, it jumps up like a meter. That's what a lot of people that haven't used the live technology probably don't know that you can actually see your line on it and you can see what it's doing and you can work these little things out. Mm. It's pretty crazy. It's cool. Mate, um, sure. thanks heaps for tonight. I don't know. Yeah. I had real no plan of where that went, but um, I'm glad we sort of touched on that stuff. Um, I appreciate it. It went quick. Did you have fun? Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks, Reese. Thanks. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I reckon we could have talked for a couple more hours easily. For I don't know. Sure. We scratched the surface, but I really wanted to talk about those fish kills. So thanks heaps for sharing a bit of light on that. Um, yeah, no worries. It was and, good to talk about it. And the Upper Murray and things like that. And uh, that little live thing at the end was pretty cool. I was keen to see your answer on those questions. I knew. Uh, I, I haven't knew. I haven't done as much with it um, as others have. You know, I probably don't have the exposure that some other people do have. But, yeah, that's that's just my experience with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I reckon, I reckon, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what everyone says, but I agree with you on the, uh, the hit, not knowing it's coming, but it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. As I could tell while you were answering the question, it wasn't yeah, an easy one. I was a bit all over the place. I didn't really know where to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's two worlds, like they're two different worlds, but they're two, they're both so good. They've both got their benefits. Yeah, for sure. Thanks mate. You, uh, enjoy what's, what are we in? We're coming into spring. So what's your plan for spring? Uh, it'll be a bit of trout and a bit of uh, a bit of yellows in Lake Hume, I think, and we get down in the, in the Murray below Lake Hume and get into a few big river yellows. So I think that'll be me. I quite enjoy that time of year, actually. I just don't have to think about the cod too much. Yeah, the yellows are a little bit easier, especially yeah. in the weather that's been so unstable. How do you think Hume will fish rising? Good? I've not fished it for yellows like this for a long time. I don't really know how it'll be. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty keen to find out. I know the river will be good, so that's always a good backup. Yep. Awesome. And then no doubt there'll be a few flowering trips in there as well, so I might see you up there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Reese. See you, mate. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is an end to another incredible podcast episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. 
We're going to continue to bring them out as much as we can. I do apologize to everyone who's been waiting for this episode. I did talk about it in the last one with Jacko Davis that I'd interviewed Josh and it was coming out. It's a couple of days later than I would have liked, but it is out. So I hope you guys enjoyed it and got stacks from the episode. And if there's any person in particular or any topics in particular you would like me to talk about or interview coming up, please let me know. I want to hear from you guys so I can create the content that you want to listen to. Now, if the podcast doesn't satisfy you and doesn't give you enough and you're always wanting more, then like I said, the SF membership is the place to be. Now, it is a freshwater platform we have designed. We're continually growing it and we pump in videos and articles every single week. Plus, there's the monthly reports. Plus, there's the SF maps. Now, those SF maps are the pinnacle and the signature part of the membership that give you detailed information on different fishing destinations because at the end of the day, the biggest question we have is where do we go fishing? Where can we access the spot? Where are the reserves? Where can I put a boat in? And what banks are good to fish? So that's where we decided to make the SF maps and that gives you all that information. But you can learn more about it at socialfishing.com.au. And like I said, if you have any questions, you can email me at admin at socialfishing.com.au. Now guys, um, I really enjoyed that episode. And once again, I want to thank Josh for his time. It was a fair bit of his time and just for going into detail about what happened on the Upper Murray. Like I said, it was a sad event, um, but it's it's happened. Something's happened. It's a, a part of nature. And fingers crossed it rebounds bigger and better. Um, the fish are super strong as they grow and there'll be an incredible fishery. For those who are probably younger now, you know, it'll only take... 10 to 20 years to bounce right back. Um, I'm actually not too sure, but a fish can grow pretty quickly in 10 years, but by 20 years time, it will bounce right back. So it will be there in our lifetime to fish again at the quality that it was um, if everything can grow back. So it it is a very special place and it'd be good to see it um, back on its feet. But yeah, I do want to once again thank Josh for his time. Um, I really appreciated having him on. And I want to thank everyone that I ever get on to the podcast, giving up their time to talk to you guys, share what they know. And I think that's the best part about fishing is being able to share information with others and seeing them achieve results. I actually get more of a kick now out of seeing someone else catch a fish or helping someone catch a fish, being a part of their journey rather than myself catching the fish. It's just incredible to see someone experience a goal for the first time time whether it's to catch their first fish on a lure no matter what it is it's it's that achievement and there's something special in that and that's why i put time into creating content like this podcast and videos and articles and other things so that'll do us for this episode guys um i'll be talking to you very soon hopefully in the next two weeks with another special guest fingers crossed and yeah in the meantime if you want more content jump on our socials make sure you leave a review on apple Podcasts if you enjoyed this episode and remember you can submit listener questions to this podcast by jumping on socialfishing.com.au create a free account you get access to the freshwater mini series and you can submit listener questions which i will answer in an episode coming up right guys that is it from me you've been listening to the social fishing podcast